They say markets work a certain way. They say if you want high returns, you have to accept higher risks. Cox Automotive says, you take the upside, we'll take the risk. Introducing Upside by Cox Automotive, the all-new way to wholesale that turns that old wisdom upside down. Visit TakeTheUpside.com to learn more. Welcome to Daily Drive. For Thursday, November 3rd, 2022, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Stellantis revenue jumps with help from better chip supplies. GM names a new OnStar chief, and BMW wants existing suppliers to provide parts for its EVs. Plus, Jamie's conversation with NADA CEO Mike Stanton from the Automotive News Retail Forum in Chicago. Dealers don't like to be told what to do. We, we've got a vested interest, we've got investments. Uh, we want a seat at the table. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Stellantis reported a 29% jump in third quarter revenue. The maker of Jeep and Ram vehicles got help from better semiconductor supplies, even as other supply chain issues weighed on operations, especially around logistics in Europe. The results were supported by favorable foreign exchange and strong pricing. The company reported a 13% increase in worldwide vehicle deliveries to generate that 29% surge in revenues. Net pricing amounted to $41 billion in the July through September period, beating estimates by about a billion dollars. As a French company, Stellantis reports its net profits only twice a year. Meanwhile, Stellantis has issued a do-not-drive warning to roughly 276,000 older model year vehicles that are subject to Takata airbag recalls. Models in the warning include 2005 to 2010 Dodge Magnums, Chargers, Challengers, and Chrysler 300s. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is telling all vehicle owners to check to see if their vehicle has an open Takata airbag recall. NHTSA says the warnings come after two such airbags exploded in two separate incidents involving 2010 Dodge Chargers, killing two people. Stellantis says a third death is suspected. General Motors has named a new head of its OnStar in-vehicle safety, security, and connectivity business. Mike Devereaux was a top GM sales and marketing executive in China. A GM spokesperson told Automotive News that he took over as vice president of OnStar Safety and Security as of November 1st. Devereaux replaces Jeff Massimilla, who leaves after just over a year on the job. GM did not comment on Massimilla's departure. And BMW's head of procurement and supply chain has a message for the company's current suppliers. Step up and manufacture new parts for EVs. Before BMW can begin cranking out electric vehicles at its sprawling U.S. factory near Spartanburg, South Carolina, the German luxury brand must develop a complex EV supplier network in the region. That's the job of Joachim Post, a 20-year company veteran. He says combustion engine parts suppliers can repurpose factories to produce housings and bearings for electric motors, while suppliers working on engine cooling can adapt their know-how to cooling batteries. In the case of EV powertrain components such as battery cells and electric motors, Post says BMW wants to develop those technologies in-house or tap into a new ecosystem of suppliers. You can read more about Post's comments on autonews.com. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, we saw sales numbers from October. How do they look? You know, on a company-by-company company basis, they were pretty mixed, but overall... It was really good. It was uh, you know, the best month we've seen since January. The seasonally adjusted annualized rate 
jumped to 14.9 million. That's higher than any of the estimates that were we saw going into the reporting period. So it's a, another sign really that production and sales are starting to creep back toward a normal, more normal, you know, 16, 17 million rate. That's some good positive news. Uh, coming up, we'll hear from NADA CEO Mike Stanton about the trade organization's new guiding principles for the evolving retail landscape. That's next on Daily Drive. Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance. Hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Some dealers say it's not worth taking a trade they won't retail. They say if it doesn't fit their brand, they'd rather pass. Cox Automotive says now you can easily see the profit in any trade and never risk losing that new customer. Introducing Upside by Cox Automotive, the only way to wholesale that turns that old wisdom upside down. Every vehicle you place in the Upside digital auction is backed by our guaranteed minimum price, so you never risk a loss. And when a vehicle sells for more than our guarantee, you keep the lion's share of the Upside. It's a -a one-of-a-kind auction that gives you an alternative to accepting wholesale losses, and it's built on the principles of the country's top-performing wholesale sellers, so your vehicles have the best possible chance to get bids and get bought. Dealers taking advantage of Upside's game-changing policies are already saying yes to more trades and making more money, all while never risking a loss. Sound too good to be true? Visit TakeTheUpside.com now to learn more. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Last month, the National Automobile Dealers Association shared a new framework on evolving business models and the dealer franchise system. It's meant to provide a more defined path forward for dealers and automakers as they navigate a fast-changing auto retail landscape. The principles are, in part, intended to jumpstart deeper, more meaningful discussions between franchise dealers and their automakers. NADA CEO Mike Stanton joined me on stage last week at the Automotive News Retail Forum in Chicago. We talked about the new guidelines and how they're being received by dealers and automakers. Here's our conversation. So, Mike, why was it important for NADA to publish these guidelines? It was vital. There's just been, the dealers have had a great couple of years, but there's been so much thrown at us. You've heard the buzzword agency. You've got direct sellers. You've got the consumer experience has evolved. Dealers are always going to rise to meet these challenges. But now we have technological advances as well. Over-the-air updates. What do we do about those? You've got the subscriptions, uh, reservations, downstream revenue. How's all that going to evolve? And you know, probably a lot of dealers in the room, dealers don't like to be told what to do. You know, we've got, uh, we, we've got a vested interest, we've got investments. Uh, we want a seat at the table. And, and NADA has, has a responsibility to lead the industry. And we did it with a lot more than just my input and the input of the NADA board, and we can talk more about that. We have responsibility, really, to look forward and to set the framework and to talk about the value that we bring. It's important to be on offense. I mean, we've got franchise laws out there and those are hugely important. Those are good for consumers, dealers, and manufacturers. They forget about that sometimes. If you didn't have those franchise laws, you wouldn't attract the type of entrepreneurs that get things done. 
for the manufacturer. So, so let's get into it. But I, I've, uh, I, this is one of the most, by far, I've been at NADA for, for quite some time. I'm, I'm not only pleased about what we did, but it was about how we did it. Mm -hmm. So talk a little about that. You, you really worked through all the, your constituencies. Yeah. Was this a matter of you know, setting an agenda for them, or was it more a matter of extracting the consensus from out of these conversations and, yeah. and presenting it in a Well, we, we referred to it as one sheet of music or, or speaking with one voice. And you know, believe it or not, it's, you look at that. Sometimes the shortest, most simple things actually take the most work uh, because these are very simple. But they're also, they're very clear, they're very concise, but the consensus building process is a messy one. I work for a board of 65 dealers, and that's good in a lot of ways, and it can be challenging in a lot of ways. I see Dave Sloan there, he's one of 100 ATAEs or there are abouts. We also reached out to dealer council chairs. We tried to get everybody on the same page, and then we had to stay within the bounds of, of antitrust as well. But I think what we've come up with, it's a conversation starter. So it's that we got an incredible story to tell. We've got the brands, We've been void of product. Tesla filled that, that void. The EVs are coming. They're, they're great. A couple years, we're going we're gonna to be, be more than set with that. And, and we just got to focus on what can we do together to improve the customer experience? Because we've got all of this in front of us. It's our advantage. The time is now to get our act together. So uh, has it been received? How are the automakers taking it? How are the how are the dealers embracing it? So we've, we take this on, on, we took it on the road to, I, I put it this, at least in front of a thousand dealers. You know, one of the best part of my jobs, I get to go to different states and the metro areas and, and sometimes talk. It's more fun to listen at the receptions, but, and, and to share this, this information and the reception has been incredible. And with regard to the car companies, you know, we, we engage with them twice a year with the NADA Dealer Attitudes uh, Survey. We get a 72% response rate on that. And they listen, you know, and we're, we're interacting with the most senior levels at the car companies. And I don't want to name names. Some of them we go in and we give them a pat on the back, a well-deserved pat on the back. But often we're there with what I, what I refer to as kind of this big complaint, you know, club. Uh, but it's in the spirit, always in the spirit of, of constructive engagement and what, what can we do to get better. Uh, but we're, we're reacting more to the, you know, the today. And what we've been doing is sharing these principles at these meetings. We've also, uh, we've set aside special meetings to work with and, and convey this with the most senior levels. We're talking to global CEOs. Again, don't want to name names, but the impact has been nothing short of amazing. You know, we go from the complaint club, you know, and I felt like I was getting hit with a complaint club. You know, dealers don't want to change. They love the status quo. You guys are dinosaurs. They don't get the urgency. And I say, hey, you know, Mr. CEO, full stop. Take a look at what we've done. Immediately, this individual, he's circling things. He's saying, we should have done that 10 years ago. Oh, you want to take costs out of the business? That's what we want to do. We're out saying that, that the dealers or the distribution model costs an extra, whatever it is, a couple thousand dollars, and we, we're at a competitive disadvantage, and we get into it. He wasn't talking about the dealers. He was looking at the OEM and the dealer as an enterprise or an, you know, an ecosystem, if you will. Well, that's an engaging conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, it's common sense. And it's not easy, but it's common sense. There's two ways to grow a, bi a business. You grow revenue. You shrink expense. Why not work on both at the same time? Those are the kinds of conversations that are coming out of, of the meetings that we're having. And we're seeing some real success. We work with some dealer councils. 
one, one Highline brand, they were able to successfully negotiate downstream revenue, you know, the over-the-air updates that have revenue uh, associated with those. Well, dealers should participate in that. The best time to sell that is at the point of sale. And you know when it breaks, the customer's gonna come back to the dealer. We need to participate there. But at the same time, we can't get between the car company and the customer when they can fix that car with flash, makes it safer, makes the performance better, perform a recall. We had legislation in the state that would have banned over-the-air updates. You start getting in the way of a manufacturer and a customer being able to fix their car quickly, well, you're, these state franchise laws that, that folks like Dave and Don have worked so hard to maintain, that could go all, could go, all go right out the window. So we've, we've had great success so far. There's a lot more we need to do. Data sharing's another, another big one. I, I pleaded the vendors in this room. We do a horrible job and we have for, for a long, long time as car companies, dealers, and OEMs. Customers don't care. We have to work as one. Our direct sellers have a competitive advantage. They have a one-to-one -one relationship with the customer. So these are the conversations we're having with the car companies, and, and they're going to bear fruit because we've got all the tools. We just need to stop fighting over the scraps, focusing on the customers. That's all they want. They want a great experience, and they want a great product. I've been hearing some issues, though, about some associations where dealers are concerned about Ford's Model E. I know, I'm, sure. I know you're limited somewhat on talking about specific companies and brands, but these concerns are being raised. Are your guidelines able to help facilitate those conversations or is it well, let's, beyond that? Well, I want to make one thing very clear. I mean, we, these are guidelines and NADA is not in a position, it's not a one size fits all industry. We think that in individual car companies working with their councils, working with their dealers, obviously if they get the product right, they're going to get they're going to have an advantage. But if they have the best relationship in the industry with their dealers, that also gives them a competitive advantage. We think that this helps facilitate those types of discussions. But we work for all dealers, not just Ford dealers. And our states work for all dealers. And, and they report into a board just like I report into a board. And we'll figure it out. We always do. We don't know exactly how to get there. We have different levers to pull. As a national trade association, there is no national franchise laws. But when something is going wrong in a state, and they need NADA support in terms of a legal defense fund, we're gonna be there to back the state if we feel like that issue is something that would be applicable to, to all dealers. We gotta take these words, put them into action. Principles kind of pie in the sky. What does reality look like? We'll grind it out, we'll get there, but we think that this is a good framework to at least start that, that discussion and put NADA in a role of being proactive, on offense, this is not a one-sided list of demands. We tried to take into account what we thought would work. So this were, it's many words in the title, but it was about the evolving business model. It's mm -hmm. the technology is going to keep evolving. Will you keep updating the guidelines? Is this something you could see doing every year, every two, five years? What's well, I, I think you have to look at it every day. I mean, things are changing so fast. We've heard it. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't ever want to be in a position to defense. We, we, I mean, I've talked to a ton of dealers. They're not shy. You know, when something's not going right, it was the Mercedes-Benz Dealer Council. They were one of the groups that really got us fired up about this. They had already kind of put their situation together. But they said, look out, this is coming with the industry. So we don't want to be reactive. We want to be proactive. Uh, sometimes we're not as proactive as I'd like to be because, you know, I, I've run a business before. This is not my business. This is the dealer's business, and the dealers, believe it or not, don't always agree on things. So we finding that common ground, consensus building is a messy process, as I mentioned, but we'll get there. 
Okay. While I've got you, uh, a lot of people are talking about a new report about employee retention mm -hmm. doing much better and, uh, of course, compensation rising as well. What does that tell you about the market and about this industry? <laughs> oh, gosh, it tells me a lot of things that I won't be allowed to say. Um, <laughs> uh, and I heard it earlier. One of the panelists just said that people are making more money. I've been, I'm not a lawyer, but I've been trained pretty well. One of the things that has been, it's been a frustration for dealers over the years are these stair-step incentive programs. And they're probably coming back. Discipline, you like, I like to think that, I mean, I've, I've talked to enough manufacturers, they all think they're gonna do this, they're gonna sell more ice and EV. You know, you add up their forecasts. You know, can we do back, get back to 17 million in a, in a couple years? I think so, but if you add up their forecasts, they're gonna be 20 million plus. So the incentives are gonna come back, and those stair-step incentives will pit dealer against dealer. It's good for consumers, always good for consumers to compete for, for business, but sometimes these incentives make our dealers look like liars, mm -hmm. and they're not. And that erodes trust, it erodes the customer uh, experience. So I, I, worry, I worry about that coming back, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and, and see. But I am encouraged about, you know, the, for, forever and ever, the average uh, salesperson at a dealership sold 10 vehicles, mm -hmm. and we've seen that number increase through the pandemic. And that's a good thing, we need to be able to retain these folks. All right, one last one back on the, uh, on the guidelines. Do you hope is, is your hope that these conversations will lead to uh, changes in the brand's franchise agreements? Is it something that needs to be codified on a brand-by-brand -brand basis? Uh, well, first off, no, uh, because for, we, we are not in a position to negotiate a franchise agreement. We're not in a position to tell the states uh, what we think they should do. We're in a position to support the states and to support the dealer councils and, and when a state puts out legislation, often they will ask us for our input, we will provide that, and it's for them to take or, or decide not to take. Same holds true with franchise agreements. We've been very successful. Uh, uh, recently working with VW and Audi on their data agreement, you gave us a chance to react. They took a lot of what we had proposed. That's how we can help. We're in more of a support role. I know you look at NADA, National Organization, uh, quickest way for me to lose my job is start telling people what to do. Because I work for them, they don't work for me. Mike Stanton is the CEO of the National Automobile Dealers Association. He joined me last week at the Automotive News Retail Forum in Chicago. If you missed the event, you can still get on-demand access to all of the conversations we had on stage, by going to the events and awards tab at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on retail, earnings results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about plugging service department revenue gaps in the EV era. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.